friends, welcome to Better Than Journaling. I'm Adia. And I'm Aisha. We are two mental health professionals journaling out loud, analyzing our own thoughts and feelings. This is not about us giving you mental health advice. We're just having our own existential crises one episode at a time, so you don't have to. So get comfy and fill your teacup with whatever it is you drink, because it's time for an episode of Better Than Journaling. Good afternoon, Miss Ayesha. How are you? Oh, girl, I am tired. I am tired. It's been a rough last couple of weeks, but I am good now. Things are on the upswing for sure. How are you doing? I have the Rona. I survived. Oh, no. Two and a half years of not getting it. And then maybe I got a little reckless. I don't know. But I have it, and I did not, I almost didn't know that I had it because it's been so mild. I thought it was just like um, my annual sinus infection, sleeping with a fan and whatnot. Um, And so I almost completely just ignored it and went on about my usual life and just so happened to run across like a CDC posting on Instagram with a symptoms and had and like had a moment where I was like oh shit uh, a few days ago I had these symptoms this was me for a few hours a couple of days ago and so I was like let me just take a home test and I, I did and it lit up like Christmas lights and I was like so you know actually it's ridiculous but I kind of had a point of pride of having never uh, contracting COVID or at least never exhibiting symptoms of COVID. There was definitely a, a point of fright. And then there, so with that came denial. So I took two home tests and a PCR exam before I finally was like, okay, so I have COVID. Fine. Um, <laughs> so now I have a, I don't know, I've lost some status. What status you say? The kind my imagination created. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I've seen lots of like jokes memes and stuff like that about how people who haven't had it yet are like holier than thou because they haven't had it yet. So I still haven't had it uh, in this two and a half years, but in the last year or so, I'm a little bit surprised because the first year and a half, it would have been crazy if I would have gotten it because I was absolutely on top of protocols. The last year, you know, I do all right. But it wouldn't surprise me at this point if I got it. So, yeah, I'm glad it's been pretty mild for you, though. It's been incredibly mild. Um, I and yeah, and I know some people are still being kind of like really negatively impacted by it. I know a few people that had it, I don't know, within the last month or so, month and a half. And maybe it's a different strain, but we're knocked on their butt for sure. Um. And I think some people are still having that level of experience, even with this strain. But when my mom had it, uh, I mean, it's not been a full year yet. Maybe it was. I don't know. No. Yeah, almost two years ago. I just The years are just months at this point. But um, she also wasn't aware that she had COVID and thought it was like a sinus infection. So I'm also wondering if it's something in the genes, you know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I heard the president has it right now. True. Me and Sleepy Joe. Oh. <laughs> you and Sleepy Joe. There's the one thing that the two of you have in common, right? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but other than that, you know, I'm good. I uh, I don't have much of anything to complain about. I've been feeling good. I've been taking it easy, uh, mostly because I have to stay home. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy, girl. Even you're exhausted. Well, why? Oh, tired. Well, I spent the last few days uh, in the children's hospital with my oldest. He had this really acute pain attack uh, that he was having pain in his stomach. And so we ended up going to the ER. They transferred us to uh, the children's hospital. We went to the closest ER and then they transferred him by ambulance to the children's hospital. Uh, and, you know, he was there for three days. At the beginning, we thought he was going to have surgery. Now they're saying they want to do more testing before they do surgery. They were going to do surgery because they thought he had, like, twisted intestines or something like that, which, which could cause blockage and be really dangerous. But right now they're feeling like there might have been a pinch versus a twist and that they might be able to um, – do that in a non support that non-emergency way but then in part of their testing they found a couple of other things in his abdominal cavity that they're like hey we should do something about that too so you know we have a, a few weeks ahead of us of uh some testing and all that kind of stuff but mostly i'm just glad that he is feeling better and that he's home and that i get to sleep in a bed instead of on a cot at the children's hospital that's not built for grown-ups i'm like what what is this thing? Oh my gosh, my body is hurting so bad. And it's just been like a rough, uh, really busy two weeks. You know, we've had several staff out that would normally be, so I'm, so I'm doing a few people's jobs right now. Well, tomorrow everybody's back, so we should get back to normal. But for the last week, all the other supervisors on my team were out, so I was fielding all of the calls. Oh no. Then um, I was teaching this class, and it's a class I've taught before, but I was teaching it with someone I've never taught with before. Um, and I wanted to teach with her. I was excited to teach with her because she uh, she is a real advocate for diversity and equity and inclusion issues. And I wanted to learn from her, like how she handles that in the context of a class that's not about that, uh, but how she weaves it in as an important, you know, topic topic for everybody, regardless of if you're working with children and families, that you have to be thinking about DEI issues. Uh, and I wanted to, to co-facilitate with her because I wanted to learn from her how she weaves it in. And she is so smart and so passionate about this stuff. And she, she weaves it in really well. And she, she does it in a more uh, blunt way than I would normally do it. And so <laughs> there, was, there was part of me that was like, whew, people are going to be really mad at us because we're talking about these really heavy things really loudly, you know? And I don't mean loudly like volume wise, but I mean like we're like in your yeah. face with this, uh, with this, with these topics. And, you know, while I think it's important that we address issues of equity in all settings, people didn't sign up for an equity class. They signed up for a different type of class. And she's like, and let me tell you why equity is important, even though you didn't sign up for it. And so there was part of me that was like, you know, are we stepping on people's toes? Are we using really strong language? Is, are people going to be offended? Um, and part of me that's like, I don't know, we got to get the message out there and it's, and it's important. So 
it was it was kind of a dilemma for me, but I also, like I said, I think she's brilliant, and I feel like I learned so much from uh, being in space with her and and looking at how she masterfully ties all of what we do in behavioral health and early childhood education into why it's important that we do it with consideration for equity. Uh, but but it was intimidating almost. Wow. I mean, that sounds breathtaking, um, both because it seems like it maybe heated up the air in the room, uh, and also because it sounds like she demonstrated some um, some skill in a way that was maybe masterful, um, and, and partially what it sounds like what you were looking for and hoping to experience, at least stylistically speaking, a different kind of exposure, you know, it, as you, the way I hear you talk about this, it really captures kind of like what's been on my mind lately as well. You know, I've, um, in the last couple of years, really um, had to sit with lots of what sounds like very similar thoughts and feelings and experiences um, that where I'm brought to way back and forth my own spirit of advocacy and how I show up as an advocate in a space, uh, quote unquote, speaker of truth um, with how my audience is gonna be impacted and what they might hear and take away from whatever conversation or training or teaching space I'm facilitating um, and whether or not I'm alienating them or challenging them. You know, so I won I've I've wondered a lot and I've I've wrestled with my own um ideas of whether or not I'm speaking truth, full truth, watering it down or conveying a message fully and clearly and shattering ideas of white supremacy and you know, uh pulling back the curtains that cloak that honesty. Uh or am I giving people excuses to slowly back away from um, topics that are taboo or confrontational or scary, you know? I do constantly know. wondering and how I, much of I, that is my own responsibility. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that responsibility piece feels big to me. I do know, I know what you mean. And I, I feel like I want to be a person that says the thing that needs to be said, even if it's unpopular. And I also want to be a person who is heard when I speak. And uh, so I don't know that I'm worried so much about offending people as I am about wanting to make sure that, um, that the discourse can be civil. And I, and I just wonder sometimes about thinking about the language that we use. And, you know, Gottman talks about uh, soft start. Is that, is that the language they use? But when you're, when you're introducing a topic with a partner, uh, I think that, I, I feel like the words might be soft start. That uh, you have to start the conversation in a way that does not immediately alienate people so that, uh, so that they can hear you and then you can, like go down deeper into 
the heavier words and the heavier topics, but you have to start in a way that invites people into the conversation. And so I think in my, in my effort to make sure that I'm not alienating people in the beginning of the conversation, that I use words that I think are universally accepted words. You, I, I should be less vague. Like, for example, I might use a word like sexual violence or sexual assault before I use the word rape, depending on what, what audience I'm with, just because I know that the word rape is heavy and scary and triggering. And sexual violence is not, 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 not triggering, but something about that phrase seems a little bit softer. I might say to a parent who has uh, done some harm to their children that they have done harm to their children in, in the way that they've disciplined. Um, and I might use that word instead of you've abused your children, just because I think that people might hear me better with that softer language. That's still true than they would with that, uh, with that heavier language. And I don't know if that's the right way to go in a training environment versus, you know, in a therapy environment or whatever, but being with a co-facilitator who just went straight for the words in their most, uh, I'm going to say if in their most true form, raw, but the, but the, yeah, the raw, exactly. That's the way Got, went for the words in their most raw form. I found myself, you know, holding my breath sometimes as she was doing that and, and being scared and envious at the same time. Yeah. And, um, and there's something about my style of training and teaching and facilitating in the last couple of years that intentionally wants to evoke that response from people. I want people to be gasping for air and taken aback and shocked and taken to a visceral, a visceral experience of their own emotions and experience of the words and the imagery that I'm putting out there because I want them to feel uncomfortable and to connect with the message in a way that they wouldn't if it were more comfortable and I'm not saying comfortable but more comfortable less uncomfortable I don't and I know that some people's experience will be to run and hide uh, some people either because they feel offended or they feel threatened or they feel judged but I think that all of those feelings that can be evoked for them can be brought into the space and can be managed when they are evoked by the imagery or the language that I choose. Um, so I can anticipate that they are going to feel a lot of different ways. And I think I can take responsibility for facilitating a space that allows those to come into the room and be discussed and kind of unpacked in a sense, or at least acknowledged and validated, uh, named and validated. Um, and then either give them some tools or skills or space to be able to kind of unpack those feelings or even if they're just being named and acknowledged, excuse me, and then have a, somewhere to put them that doesn't make them automatically block anything else that comes out. But I think that I worry, and maybe I worry that not saying, not being as raw <clears throat> plays into, it makes me think about when we, you know, have talked a lot about like white supremacy and that it dictates a certain look and sound uh, in order for people to be profession identified as professional. This feels a lot like that. 
appropriate and professional and that it needs to look and sound and feel a certain way for it to be appropriate for different settings or appropriate for successful, uh, a successful teaching environment or for people to hear me. And I think that that is bullshit. I think that that's white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I think that controlling the way, uh, sanitizing language uh, and tone so that someone can be receptive to it uh, is it's dishonest and it's requiring me to be palatable based on your your ability to be open and receptive. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, when you put it that way, it it really makes me. So I don't want to be. I don't want to be conforming to. Uh, standards of rightness or whiteness for the purpose of being heard so I so I understand that point and I don't I don't think I don't think that what I'm doing is trying to use words that are are the more professional version of the words I'm not trying to sanitize I'm not trying to water down I'm sensitive to keeping people with me deeper into the conversation and I think that I think that we can build up to using the more raw words if I can keep you with me. Um, So that's part of it. The other thing is I have a, I have a memory of an experience that happened, I don't know, within the last year, year and a half. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to detail it because it's, it's too much, but um, I was aware of a trauma that someone in, in a Zoom space had been through. Some, some other people, some other people were aware too, but there was a, there were a few people in the room that were new, and the person just callously used a word that I knew would be a trigger to that person <clears throat> who had been through that trauma, um, and it and it just felt like it came out of nowhere, and then and she was just like you know you blah 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 blah, and then said this word, um, and I saw like the color drain from the person who had had that recent trauma saw the color drain from her face and she uh, logged off and didn't come back to that space again. So this wasn't about not offending her. This was about, uh, this was about using a shocking term that seemed to come out of nowhere and that really hurt someone who had done a lot after that recent trauma to even show back up in a space again, right? And then that, that word flew out of someone's mouth and uh, she just was like, ooh, got to get out of here because she had to get out and take care of herself. So some of it is about, I, I do think that I don't want to offend people, uh, but that is not my highest calling is to not offend people. My highest calling is to not hurt people and to not, to not communicate messages in a way that make it so people are unwilling to learn something that I have to share, not to not offend people. And you, I think in the way that I'm hearing you say it, it still feels like you are taking way more responsibility for someone's learning than maybe they are taking. And that if your language is the linchpin and then I have a hard time believing that your language is the linchpin of someone choosing to learn something or remain curious about something. Um, 
specifically around matters of teaching children and honoring like their needs and, and learning more about what helps and what hurts. And if conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusivity come up, yes, I believe lots of emotions will come with that. And, and that each learner showing up in that space has a duty and a responsibility to be confrontational about their own <clears throat> presentation and their own investigation and interaction with information and new content. So not like you were teaching a bunch of sixth graders, you're teaching a bunch of professional people who are instilled with the responsibility and the privilege of shaping hearts and minds uh, for mm -hmm. generations to come, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think like, I hear you holding yourself to a high standard of expectation, surprise, no surprise there. And I have been working towards holding other people to a higher level of expectation and inviting them to own that they're having some feelings come up. So I guess that's where my, that, that other piece that I was talking about is like, I don't doubt that I'm going to say things that are going to, and maybe that's what I do. I, I disclaimer, I preface, I acknowledge that there will be feelings. There will be uncomfortable feelings third up. So I think that that maybe addresses the piece where you say you feel like people are being potentially blindsided by things. I try to let you know ahead of time that there are going to be feelings that are going to come up and what do you need to take care of yourself? And I invite you to be a part of this dialogue, not a passive receiver. Um, I'm not an expert in everything. I feel confident and competent in these areas. And I want you to be an active participant, but I am not going to, or I walk, I stepping back from being as gentle, even in the beginning of conversations. Um, because I think now I, I want to know when people want or need to hear a message in a different way than the way that I can offer it, or I'm willing to offer it. I, I think I personally am feeling Yeah, maybe I just haven't tried it that way recently. I think I went from maybe not talking about it to like screaming about it. And I don't know if, uh, I guess it depends on the audience. It, it does depend on the audience, I guess. Um, how, 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 how far I think it's really going to go, you know, or what role I'm taking on. I think about like my family uh, and having conversations, social justice, of equity, of diversity with them. And something that I've learned in reading, you know, so you want to talk about race and how to be an anti-racist is that knowing your audience, knowing what, where they're at in their journey, what they're capable of and what role you, you know, kind of relationship you have with them and what type of influence or impact you're likely to realistically have and then dedicate your efforts appropriately. And so when I think of like conversations that I have with them, I'm probably one of the main people, if not the only person, who's having those kind of conversations with them. Um, and so they don't have as much practice or exposure. And when I think about the teaching space where they're actively coming to a training, I assume a lot more discourse 
influence exposure has happened already. And so I have higher expectations of their willingness and their capacity for being uncomfortable uh, and having their thoughts and ideas challenged. Maybe that's another piece of it. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, a couple of things that you said, one is, uh, you don't, you don't know if my language is the linchpin for whether or not people are going to be receptive. I think that I see language as, as part of a bigger picture. And what I'm thinking of in general is like my overall approach, right? So language is a part of my overall approach. Volume and tone is another part of my uh, approach. Whether or not I approach things with, you know, accusation or curiosity is another part of my approach. So language is what I kind of like was paying attention to with this particular facilitator. But, you know, you talked about a disclaimer in the beginning. Some of this conversation will be uncomfortable. That's another part of the approach. If I disclaim, you know, some of this is going to be uncomfortable. We're going to use language that makes people uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you questions that really make you think. That disclaimer is also part of the approach. And if that if that is how we start the conversation, then my language might be a little bit more uh, raw than if we didn't start the conversation like that. Yeah. If we are in a class or in a training that's about social justice, if we're in a class called, you know, down with white supremacy, then absolutely my language is going to be a lot more raw than if we're in a class talking about how to support little people going to school in a safe way you know what I mean you know so let's I, teach I, so that class that, down with white supremacy okay like let's <laughs> let's write it up like let's make that happen that sounds amazing yeah so I but I but I do think that I, I do think that language is just one facet in in the larger thing that is how do I engage and invite people into discourse when we're talking about something that's hard to talk about I feel like I'm really good at talking about things that are hard to talk about. And I think that it's because of an overall approach to talking about things that are hard to talk, to talk about. Maybe, maybe what I'm reacting to is like in this last class, I don't know that we prepped people for like, we're, we're, we're going to talk about these that feel really hard to talk about. Um, and, and we're going to talk about it in a really raw way you know so you you are in a give us feedback if you have concerns or questions about the way that we're approaching these topics that sort of thing uh but we didn't necessarily disclaim it like that and maybe that is that is part of why i was like whoa we we're getting into some heavy stuff um i don't know i don't want to be i don't want to be responsible for anybody's learning but i also don't want to be responsible for approaching uh, sharing information in a way that causes people to be like, I don't want that information because in the first few seconds of the conversation, I felt attacked or I felt not heard or I felt like if I didn't agree with you, there was no space for me here. Yeah, and I hear that. <clears throat> and I I don't know if that is the impression or the experience that people would have had. I have strong doubts. I have strong doubts that anyone or maybe most people would have felt like this was not a space where they had a voice or that they would not have been heard or um, given audience. That just doesn't seem like the, I don't know, 
and I don't think you give off that energy. Um, and I don't, and I don't know uh, your co-presenters style or, you know, how, I don't know, the vibe of the, of the space that you all were um, training in, but I do know um, that you're right, that you will get feedback um, and people will have an opportunity and they can always choose to not come back uh, and complain. But I think that people who are seeking learning don't generally give up so easily because they're off put by something. Um, and that you have more than one way to deal with the feelings that you have that come up and that I, I don't believe that you're responsible for the reactions. I think you can create space to acknowledge them and respect them, but that you had numbers, a number of people in that space and a number of different experiences were had. Uh, and so one person feeling attacked doesn't mean that you were attacking them. Um, and people being uncomfortable does not mean that they were not safe. So mm -hmm. I think that there's room for wiggle. I do think that I'm a fan of a disclaimer. Uh, that still does not encompass all of the feelings that are going to be evoked and the responsibility responsibility lies with the individual to step into a space that's created for them to you know own their experience and the responsibility is on them also to be curious about it instead of fearful and running away from it and I think that that's a part of each person's uh, you know evolution that at some point we're all a little bit afraid of things and don't necessarily know how to how we're going to handle it or face it and maybe we hide from it or avoid it that's you know that's a journey um but i know that i am personally and professionally not taking on other people's things as much anymore and at least speaking truth to what feels like um what needs to be said or what my voice is so i i don't know i'm excited that you wanted to have this experience of a new style and how to incorporate some of this content into information that you're already super comfortable with and excited and passionate about. Um, and I can't wait to hear how you're going to incorporate some of this, you know, some of these stylistic adventures maybe um, into your mm -hmm. own way of presenting. Because I do think that you hold space for people to be curious about what they, what's coming up for them pretty well. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'm interested to see how you're going to invite them to hold some of this discomfort, um, because it benefits everyone, especially the little. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and I'm just, again, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm trying to understand or understanding myself a little bit better. It's not as much about people's responses. Again, I don't want people to feel offended. I don't want people to feel hurt. I don't want people to complain or be mad at me. I don't want that. And I can tolerate it. Like if that's what happens, it's fine. What I'm especially thinking about is I don't want that to happen because I wasn't planful and intentional. If I present exactly the way that I want to, if I'm planful and intentional, if I'm if I'm putting in the disclaimers, if I'm creating safety, and you're just mad at me because you don't like what I said, you can, you can have that. You can be mad at me, and I don't feel any type of way. If I have hurt you or offended you because I was not thinking, 
about how do I present something in a way that considers my entire audience and doesn't just center my need to get this information out there, um, then I'm going to be upset with myself. So this is more about uh, not how people respond to me in general, but am I presenting information in the way that I want to present it? And if I presented it in the way that I wanted to present it and people did not react well to it, well, you know, maybe those aren't my people. But if I am just callously throwing out words that could be harmful to people or could turn people off without an intention to do that, then I want to do that differently. So yeah. this, is, this is me critically, critically looking at myself, myself as a presenter, myself as a trainer, myself as a facilitator, myself as a, as a teacher or a supervisor. How do you want to come across? And when you come across in the way that you want to come across, then uh, as long as I am okay with that, I'm okay with that decision that I made, then how people respond to it, that's on them. Mm-hmm. I agree. And yeah, I hear you saying that. And I, and I hear me saying the same thing. Yeah. And that there's an intentional effort on my behalf more recently to change the way that I come across, because I think that the way that I came across previously was really trying to protect people from uncomfortable feelings and that that feels harmful to my message my actual intention where I'm trying to get in the conversation or in the teaching and I think there's more than one way to this is going to sound offensive being a cat uh but um I it's this new way my my new style feels right for for me and feels good in the training space and elicits a different level of dialogue and participation um and then it's just good for me to experience people being okay with being uncomfortable maybe not in the moment mm-hmm. or in the beginning but afterwards like them surprising themselves I think with their bravery um uh, and resilience because I think that it's important I think it's an important part of empathy to be able to even imagine the level of discomfort that other people are experiencing. And it's not just about like words or language that's being used, you know? So yeah, I hear you though. I, I mean, I have a great amount of respect for your craft and your passion and how much effort and energy you put into it. Um, we're evolving, yeah? Mm-hmm. I, a, a mentor of mine uh, says, it's okay to let children suffer, that is, experience the consequences of their behavior, experience the discomfort that comes with what they've done. Uh, it's okay to let them suffer. It's not okay to make them suffer. And I can see uh, the applicability of that statement here. Like, I am okay with people feeling uncomfortable with what I say. I'm not necessarily in a place where, and I don't know that I'm trying to get to a place where I am willing to intentionally make people uncomfortable without without a disclaimer. So I'm going to say something that's going to make a lot of people in this room uncomfortable. And then I'm going to say that thing versus uh, I had no idea that this could be harmful to people when I said it. And now I'm dealing with the fallout of that, you know? So if I want to put people in a position to be uncomfortable and then support them in feeling less uncomfortable by working through that, because, uh, you know, we do that therapy all the time. Is, is help people feel uncomfortable in a supportive space, 
that supportive space is part of it. I think that's important. If I'm the if I'm the teacher here, my job or the uh, facilitator, my job is to hold space and to to support and create safety. But um, but I don't want to I don't want to be a person who makes people suffer because I don't think that that necessarily helps them learn. I, I want to be a person who's okay with the discomfort of the learning space and understand that change includes some level of discomfort because if you weren't uncomfortable, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be interested or willing to change. But I don't want to just callously create suffering, discomfort, dissonance for people callously. Yeah, I guess it definitely just depends on the subject matter. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I'm definitely having a hard time identifying uh, <laughs> creating a suffering for people when talking about diversity, equity, and inclusivity, especially people of color. I mean, I mean, not people of color, non people of color. Um, well, I think that that is probably what I'm going to take away from this and think more about is what about like when does when does discomfort creating an uncomfortable space and a challenging space move from discomfort and challenging to suffering Um, and what can be done about that while still maintaining the message Yeah, and what am I going to take away from this? Or what am I going to leave the people with? And I and I guess I feel like this has been very often the point that we've been trying to make in this space and the point that we probably both try to make with the with the people that we support at work. Uh intentionality is important. So I don't want to I don't want to move through the world in a way where my results, my outcomes are the result of luck. Uh, I want to be intentional. If I'm if I'm there to support people, if I'm there to teach people something, I want to be intentional about the way that I, I want to be generally intentional. Now, of course, like gold moments happen uh, without intention. And sometimes that's just how it is. That's just a thing. But for the most part, I want to be thinking of whether or not I am creating, inviting, uh, curiosity, whether or not I'm providing enough support in the in the place where my role is as facilitator, am I providing enough support for the challenge that I'm offering, so that people can find that to be a learning space versus a versus a shame space? Um, yeah, that's that's what I want to be able to do as a facilitator. I want to be able to have the hard hard discussions. I want to be able to get to a place where myself and the person I'm learning with. Uh, can tolerate the hard language or the group that I'm learning with can tolerate the hard language because we've scaffolded our way up to the, to the difficult uh, conversations. If I'm not doing it, I want to know that I'm not doing it because I'm assessing that we are not there yet versus because I'm afraid to, to offend people because really offending people is not, uh, not what I want to do, but avoiding it is not my highest priority. My highest priority is, if I'm there to support and teach someone, uh, that I can keep them with me so that they can learn. So that's what you're taking away? Or that's what you already brought? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm taking away. I'm taking away that I need to do some more thinking about this. And I need to make sure that my, uh, 
that I am operating from a place of intentionality versus a place of fear. If I'm not saying the words, that I'm not saying them because I'm being strategic versus because I'm scared to say them. That's what I'm going to okay. take away. Yeah. You know, I want to leave the people with the, the thought that, oh no, maybe a, more of a question, you know, um, How do you mitigate conversations where you have something that you want to share, you have a message you want to convey, and your concerns about how it will be received or how it will impact others gives you pause? How do you mitigate? What do you, how do you manage that? What do you do? How about you? Um, yeah, intentionality. Intentionality. Uh, what do you do to make sure that you are uh, conveying what you want to convey in the way that you want to convey it? And how do you manage uh, once you've decided that that was what I wanted to say and that was how I wanted to say it? How do you uh, divorce yourself from people's responses to it? and not make people's responses to it, uh, have you questioned whether or not you did or said what you wanted to do or say? Yeah. Good one, folks. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Please keep it alive. Leave us a comment. Leave us a five-star review. Share us with your friends. Um, subscribe. Come back again. It was a pleasure, Miss Aisha. I hope that you have a wonderful the rest of your day. All of that. Thanks, Miss Adia. Always lovely to speak with you. Talk to you soon, friend. Until next time. Until next time. Hey, friends. Now you know that was better than journaling. If you liked us, give us a five-star review and share us with the rest of your friends.